Today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Cog Network. Cog Network, geared for gain. Cog Network is hedge fund investing evolved. By owning Cog Network tokens, you get exposure to the hedge fund's gains. The hedge fund is comprised of algorithmically traded commodity futures and investment in hard assets related to energy. The first hard asset is partial ownership of a multi-million dollar solar farm that has a crypto mining operation attached. I mean, this is really something that both traditional and crypto investors can come together and participate in. So for traditional investors, they can get exposure to cutting edge blockchain technology in a framework that they're familiar with, a hedge fund, right? And crypto investors can get exposure to an actual security that bears dividends and includes non-crypto assets. So that's super cool. And just for full disclosure, Cog Network is a fully registered and regulated entity qualified by the SEC as a Reg D as well as a Reg S and has a 506C exemption. They've been working with lawmakers since 2017 to get this idea built out in a fully compliant way. Crypt Nation, if you guys are interested in learning more about a tokenized hedge fund, go visit www.cog.network. All right, all you good citizens of Crypt Nation, thanks for tuning in for another action-packed episode here uh, at Crypto 101 Podcast. Uh, for those of you guys who are just tuning in, uh, maybe for the first time, I'm Bryce Paul. I'm I'm your uh, your host here on this podcast, and unfortunately, I'm not joined by my co-host, uh, Pizza Mind, today. He is missing in action, uh, but he'll be back here in no time. Today, I'm joined by a fascinating, fascinating founder. Uh, a lot of you guys have probably heard of the project IOTA, um, but maybe you guys don't know the people behind it. A uh, really, really fun project that that really is focused on you know, micropayments and transactions in the Internet of Things world. So if you guys haven't heard of Internet of Things, we're going to unpack that, but kind of think with the context of Internet-connected devices, whether it's your smart home, your smart TV, your smart car. Uh, and these things are all connected to the Internet, and uh, hopefully one day they will be uh, facilitating automatic, uh, irreversible payments between one another, Um instantly and, and we're, guys this is this is all futuristic stuff but david is here to tell us it's actually here uh the thing is you know these things are actually happening today and we're just on the brink of mass adoption so so david sensteba uh the founder of iota welcome to crypto 101 thank you for having me i'm very excited for this conversation Yes, this is going to be one for the books. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this. I've been tracking your guys' project for for years now, really. Um, and I want to dive in just straight to it. Um, who are you? Like, are you know, some people come from maybe the finance world. Some people come from the computer science world. I, I want to get a, a little sense of your background. Uh, and first, you know, from there, why did you decide that cryptocurrency was, was uniquely um, even remotely interesting and you decided, and what was it that made you decide to want to start a cryptocurrency yourself? Yeah, no, for sure. So of course, as everyone in this space had a, a unique way into it, I think all of us kind of ended up in this space in a different way. It's very exciting by itself because you have this very diverse crowd of people and different ideas and different ideals, etc. Um Personally, I uh, come from a, I would say, futuristic uh, point of view. Like when I was uh, 16 years old, I was very much into the futurist movement on the internet at the time. 
this was uh, like 2005, 6, 7 when uh, Bitcoin didn't even exist yet. Uh, and we had uh, something called the extrapolist, where you discuss everything from quantum physics and the foundations of physics to the danger of artificial intelligence. So if you've heard of Nick Bustram, which has become quite a household name in the last, yeah, I want to say last seven years, I think his like the simulation hypothesis that he created, etc., has gained a lot of momentum, particularly due to Elon Musk. He was posting on these forums and as was his his collaborators, as was the creator of quantum computation. His name is David Deutsch. He was the father of quantum computation and also one of the strongest proponents of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, which has also become quite popular in the last few years. So this was kind of the environment that my formative years were spent in online. And in one of these forums, which was called Less Wrong uh, by uh, Elias Yudkovsky, who also is very focused on uh, life extension and uh, artificial general intelligence, these kind of research topics, this futuristic stuff. Uh, on those forums, of course, this is where Hal Finney, Wei Dai, and all of these kind of blockchains, cypherpunk legends hung around. So I was exposed to that quite early on. I think the white paper of IOTA, uh, <laughs> Bitcoin sorry, uh, came up around... 2010-11 in the beginning i i wasn't particularly interested because it was like internet money and it had this very strong towards a particular political leaning and i didn't like i i, I never joined a movement based on a political ideology i don't care for that like i i prefer rational and critical thinking so i didn't necessarily like it in the beginning not because mm. of the technology but just because of the overall movement around it but mm. then as i like as the years or a couple of years passed and uh, of course i used bitcoin a couple of times and it was interesting and then i dove into the white paper in depth and i realized that holy shit this technology is really transformative at least it could potentially be a paradigm shift in the digital realm so from there on, I would say early 2012, it was full-time, 24-7, just distributed ledger technology. How can we use it for payments? How can we use it for data integrity, voting, and all of these other kind of extraneous um, applications? So I, I got into that, and then I met my um, co-founders, Sergey Vanshaglo, Dominic Schiener, and Sergey Popov. And all of them were also early adopters of crypto. And we got together in this project called NXT in 2013. This was the first proof of stake implementation. It was kind of the first. Uh, well, I, I would say that NXT, for those historians out there listening, NXT was the first project that truly brought the blockchain to other applications other than just transactional back and forth payments because we had a complete decentralized asset exchange, which you can now, of course, compare to Ethereum's um, ERC-20 tokens and the kind of I ICO hype that happened. And we also had voting and we had all of this interesting stuff, identity, etc., on right. the distributed ledger, the blockchain. So all of us met there and 
coalesced around this idea. But then personally, I was much more interested in the futuristic aspects as that was my background. So I, I tried to contemplate, okay, what role can distributed ledger technology play in the future? And for me, there was two very definite uh, roles that it can play. Number one is the data integrity or data insurance or whatever term you want to use. It depends on what <laughs> paper you read. Right. So is that like paper or like proving um, that like data hasn't been tampered with and that, you know, yeah. people who, okay, interesting. Exactly. So the way you think about like the future where there are hundreds of billions of sensors and a lot of these edge computational devices, which at the time wasn't even called edge computational because edge didn't exist at that time. But for us, it was very obvious that you will have edge computation you will have sensors sending data to these gates at the edge and they will compute it and they will send it back and you will have real-time actionable um, kind of items that you can um, not just measure and analyze, but you can also act upon them. But in that, like in that futuristic scenario where the entire world is just completely autonomous, you are 100% dependent on the data being accurate. And that's where the distributed ledger comes in, that it's immutable and censorship resistant. So that's kind of the angle that I saw it from, from point one. And point two was, what is the incentive? Because you can think of it today, you have all of, like just from a human-centric experience point of view, you have Fitbit and you have Withings and you have all of these different e-health companies. Just as a, as a very simple example, how do they interact? And what is the incentive for them to interact? There has to be a mechanism for them to actually data and open up their data silos. So it kind of becomes this fluent data lake, uh, which kind of has been promised for the past 20 years. <laughs> um, and from my perspective, the distributed ledger provides a payment mechanism, this value transfer, this guaranteed value transfer. So those are the two things that are really uh really prompted me to initiate the iota pro project and since then just just to wrap it up very quickly this introduction <laughs> became quite long so since 2014 we started the project and we went uh, forward with it developed the initial prototype blah 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 and then in 2016 we started the um, incorporation of the iota foundation which was the first non-provision in europe at the time that was completely funded with cryptocurrency and it was in Germany. So as you can imagine, it wasn't the easiest process. Like Germany isn't known for its super liberal uh, policies. We had to go through a lot of uh, doors to get that accepted, but we did. And that also paints kind of the backdrop of what IOTA is versus a lot of these other projects in the sense that we chose to take the hardest route possible from the beginning because we knew if this is going to become something if this going if this is going to become the next tcp ip protocol we have to get the legislation on our side we have to get the regulators on our side so let's just go to it in the beginning so that's what we did got it set up and now we are 120 people in 30 different countries around the globe as the other foundation and of course we have a huge community as well wow. so that's yeah that's my uh, introduction
That, that, that's amazing. That gives me, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. That's, that's perfect. Uh, that gives us a ton of context uh, around the formation of, of IOTA, of the foundation, of your interests. Um, so it'll give us a great uh, groundwork and a great jumping off point here for, for the rest of our conversation. And so, you know, a lot of that might have gone over people's head in so far as, you know, data sovereignty and audit trails around uh, making sure that data is true. Because we think that like when we send information around the web, like there's n- a lot of us who aren't hackers don't understand how databases can get manipulated by unauthorized parties and man in the middle attacks. And there's just so many, uh, you know, points of failure in today's, you know, internet world, uh, internet connected world with all these devices. I'll, I'll tell a funny story actually. Um, and you've probably heard about this one, but one of the, uh, big Las Vegas casinos had a lot of their uh, money drained, their bank accounts drained, a bunch of their stuff hacked and thrown offline, all because of a sensor that some, you know, an internet connected sensor that was in one of their aquariums that they compromised. So they gained access to the network uh, and all sorts of different database stuff, very critical secured firewalled information because of some clever hacking of a water thermometer. Um, and this is shit you just can't make up. And so, so yeah. you're, so tell us a little bit more about some of the vulnerabilities, uh, in the internet of things in very, very non-technical terms. And perhaps you could use some additional examples. Yeah, no, for sure. So it's, it's a very good example. The weird incident that happened in Las Vegas, because we tend to, as you said, we, as human beings as users of this kind of uh, interconnected world we just we just take things for granted it's just it's there we have this wi-fi that's pretty much what we care about that we have wi-fi through instagram or google whatever like that's what we think about but then when you start to like take a step back and you realize holy shit there's a lot of sensors here i wonder what data these are like these sensors are uh, gathering but even if you do that you just kind of contemplate yeah there's probably a reason maybe to optimize electricity consumption or maybe it's security like these very basic things but then you take another step back and you start to extrapolate holy shit if i have access to this that means i have access to the network and based on this tiny slice of information that i have about this place i can also uh, derive quite a lot of other information that if i was a malicious actor could be used for nefarious activity and we don't as just as human beings we are not evolved to think in that way but we are entering a world where truly trusting our machines 24 7 to be reliable i mean let's let's go all the way back to the um fire alarm would they of course uh, most fire alarms in modern countries have some kind of wi-fi connection but even before it had any sort of Internet of Things capabilities, you were 100% reliant on this device actually saving your life if a fire happened based on its sensor. And that just kind of heightens the um, relevancy of how important it is. If it malfunctions, you die. If it works, it saves your life. That's kind of the uh, two different sides of the coin of how technology and especially connected technology uh, serves in our modern day life and it's only increasing day by day by day and for instance uh, just as an example uh, in Germany 
there was this steel um, uh, that was producing, of course, steel, you know, Germany, most industrial nation on the face of the earth. And hackers got access to some of their machinery, which was connected to the internet. And they melted that entire place to the ground. Oh, they, my God. They just simply, yeah, they just tuned a few parameters and suddenly everything melted down. And that's that's kind of the world we're entering. And now we're talking about autonomous vehicles and autonomous everything, so to speak. And just imagine for a second, the autonomous fleets that are out there on the road was compromised in any way. And suddenly some terrorist or whatever decided, hey, let me just crash 5,000 cars into each other. Just imagine the havoc that would wreak. It's it's almost unfathomable because it's 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 so science fiction. It's we've become accustomed through fiction, and therefore we I think that we tend to don't take it that seriously. But then coronavirus happened just recently, and then you realize, holy shit, these hypothetical scary scenarios can actually happen. And I right. think and that's one of the- a wake up call for a lot of people. It is such a wake up call because it's one of those things where you just think, um, you know, we've had a couple of these incidences where, you know, we're just not prepared for a shock that is, you know, six standard deviations of probability away from what happens normally day to day. Right. Um, Yeah. For for instance, um, you know, again, with, you know, no hedge fund being able to really turn a profit in this crash just goes to show that all the risk models weren't accounting for um, all sort, you know, all the craziness that actually happened in, in the second and third and fourth order effects of what happens when an entire population uh, spreads this virus that is super contagious and there's no cure for. And, and you just realize that, oh my God, nobody was prepared for what we would call like a black swan event. And we also saw something happen later of in 2019 um, towards the back half of 2019, where you know th- there was some uh, oil, there was some bombings uh, of some oil factories that shot the price of oil up. You know, again, it was like yeah. the, the highest move. I think it was a four, four or five standard deviation move out of the out of the normal range, and nobody was prepared for that. And so, in the same way, you're kind of saying that all these internet connected devices that have you know centralized security servers and you know authenticated uh, managers where, where you, all you need is an inside job to really go and, and melt an entire server farm or enti- hack an entire population's social security or any or, or health data or any of that stuff. And you know, w- with a system like IOTA, you guys are preparing for a future um, and starting for the gr- from the ground up with security in mind. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right because. At the end of the day, like we tend to think of black swans as unusual, but I would make the argument that black swans are, are let's call them gray swans, because we should be able to not necessarily predict what's going to happen, but we know about the risk factors. I mean, with the coronavirus, I mean, cr- there's a reason it's called COVID-19. There's been several coronaviruses. We had uh, right. SARS in 2003. We had mares and we have people going into caves in China looking for bats for the past one and a half decade, finding new kind of viruses in desperate search of vaccines before they actually spread to the population. So we know that the like we, these are the 
known unknowns, so to speak. These are variables that should be in every model, but they aren't. And when it comes to digital infrastructure, and especially in the age of the Internet of Things and automation, we genuinely have to accept the fact that all these kinds of attacks that are hypothetical, yes, sure, they're hypothetical, but that means they're feasible. Maybe they don't have maybe don't happen in 2021, but they will fucking happen. Like it, it's inevitable. If you give it sufficient time and there is enough incentive for anyone to tamper with the system, it will happen. And that's what mm-hmm. the IOTA protocol was all about from the beginning. And that's also why we took a very, very unusual step. We sacrificed performance in our distributed ledger by implementing quantum robust cryptography from the beginning. And that's like, at the, in 2015, everyone was like, yeah, you guys are just Star Trek. It's like science fiction. This doesn't make any sense. Quantum computers doesn't exist. It won't happen. But now I think more and more people are coming to the realization that nah, quantum computers will definitely happen. When? We don't know. But it's, it's an engineering problem. It's not the matter of physics. Like from our best theories of fundamental physics, quantum computers are very much a real thing. And we don't know when the breakthrough happens where we can control the coherence in atoms and therefore have a scalable quantum computer, but it will happen. Right. If you yeah. don't prepare, if you don't build with security in mind, you will be unprepared when it happens and everyone will suffer the consequences just like with this coronavirus. Even though any like epidemiologist you would would have spoken to would have said this will we don't know when we don't know how we don't know where but it will happen and it did and the same thing happens with uh, cybersecurity on all different echelons of the scale and that's why we made iota to truly try to be ahead of the curve on mm-hmm. this uh, as we're entering a realm where literally data is the decider. It's no longer me and you as a human being. It's the data. We trust the data because the applications, they run so smoothly. We can optimize our business models. We can optimize our uh, manufacturing. We can optimize everything. It's so beautiful until something goes awry. Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com slash crypto101. Thank you. And kind of to take that analogy and extend it a little bit, um, what IOTA is doing to the integrity of data and security of you know sensor data, let's call it, uh, yeah. Bitcoin is doing to financial data in regards to, you know, currencies because people just you know are you know really currencies are data they're numbers on bank spreadsheets whether you're a central bank or a retail bank or you are an account holder at one of those banks it's all just settlement of financial data to make sure that you know 
it's secure. There's no double spending. I'm not giving. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You a dollar that I just gave to somebody else and you know, the system would break down. So, so Bitcoin is also you know, a, a, prime, a, a prime example of what you know, per, you know, a blockchain or in your case, uh, something a little similar to a blockchain, which we're going to talk about, but it's protecting, uh, protecting this data. And so I'm really excited as well about how you know, Bitcoin was created to capture all of the mistrust that you know, people have in uh, in, in their in their financial systems and kind of absorb all of that uh, as well. And we're also at another what you would call a gray swan or a black swan event where the financial system starts to pump so much quote unquote economic stimulus into yeah. the into the world that again all these risk models was never accounting for because it's the, these 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 events that happen once every other decade kind of thing that you just don't calculate for. And so Bitcoin is really, you know, as well at a make it or break it point because people are realizing that there's holes in the security of your US dollar or of your, uh, you know, British pound, whatever it is, there's holes in that security model as well. So it's kind of, you know, as you were speaking, I had never really thought of it much that way, but I think it is a, a really cool analogy. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think one of the, for the crypto community, I think one of the most interesting data points to take away from this uh, unfortunate chronic is the fact that it's, in my opinion, it's the first time Bitcoin and crypto overall has proven its worth. Because if you were to ask some of the more, let's say, conservative traditional economists, they would have said Bitcoin is the first thing to go. Like it's it's going to plummet 
the second of major crisis hit. But that's not what we saw at all. In, instead, crypto has actually outperformed the S&P Dow Jones and all of these kind of big indexes that are used to benchmark the economy. And for me, at least, who has been here for now uh, in the crypto space, this is the first time we truly get to stress test our theory, so to speak. Is there genuinely a demand for a decentralized immutable uh, currency or store of value? And I think in regards to Bitcoin, I think it's more of a store of value, but it has definitely proven that it's not the first asset that gets dumped. And that shows a paradigm shift, in my opinion, because mm. if it was just this kind of toy thing that a lot of these elitist economists have said for so long, right, then right, right. Bitcoin should be $0, but it isn't. So, yeah, I just, to me, this this whole crisis has proven the concept behind distributed ledgers and the value behind distributed Couldn't agree more. Tr- truly couldn't agree more. Um yeah, I, I love it. So, so let's let's hop back over uh, to IOTA. Um, I saw a really cool partnership that you guys put out with some really interesting work being done with Jaguar. Jaguar yep. is a car company. Uh, a lot of people see Jaguar as you know this nice luxury brand of cars, but uh, apparently they're also very technologically focused, and they are going to be uh, integrating IOTA. You guys did some work with them. Could you tell us a little bit about that and? Uh, walk us through that use case. Yeah, no, definitely. So Jaguar, uh, they also own uh, Land Rover, which I think is a more consumer brand that <laughs> like the regular person may have interacted with more in physical <laughs> interactions. So, of course, it's a major, major um, company producing a lot of cars for the world. And the use case we, or not use case, I should rather say, the partnership that we have with them and the goal of the partnership is to establish first and foremost this e-car wallet, which means that each individual vehicle on the road has a IOTA wallet and it also uses the IOTA protocol to ensure that the data that it's gathering gathering is um, uh, immutable and the integrity is ensured. So let's talk a little bit about the use cases. Like why should a car need a wallet? Like I have a wallet as a human being. Why does my car need a wallet? But then you start to think more about what is the future of mobility and what is actually the future of finance itself. And the fact of the matter is you have all of these millions and millions and millions of cars around 24-7. And for each year, they become more like computers on wheels rather than cars. There aren't really gears and pistons in new cars. It's much more about computers that have an ability to move around. And they have a lot of sensors. They can pick up data like potholes in the road. Uh, They can pick up uh, like signs not being there. Or uh, they can gather data on cars moving too fast in a certain uh, lane. If you have that data, you can model it. and You can see this is a dangerous area. But then the question becomes, who owns this data? Is it Jaguar or is it you who owns a Jaguar? And our definitive answer, unfortunately, this is also what Jaguar Land Rover has been uh, communicating through our partnership, is that it's you, of course. You own the car, you own the vehicle, so that's your asset. And if your car is collecting information, 
that is valuable that could be resold to um, any kind of entity, you ought to get a payment. That's the first thing. And the second thing is the data integrity part. Because as we are going into this new realm or this new epoch where you have cars that are increasingly just computers on wheels, the data is the new oil. You are literally getting enormous amounts of data that can be very valuable if used appropriately and if it can be monetized. And that's what we're trying to do. Not just Jaguar, but pretty much all our partnerships. The goal is to establish this true data economy, but not just a data economy where the big boys have kind of control of your data, but where you have this self-sovereign ownership of your identity and your data. So if your car is picking up some noble information that could be very valuable for city planners or insurance companies or whatever, you sell it to them and you get a part of that economy that is being established. So that is that is what we are um, doing in that partnership and as well as many other similar partnerships. And mobility is, I think mobility is the era or area, I should say, uh, sorry, area where um, Internet of Things is truly being picked up at a consumer level really fast because it's one of those things that is by nature mobile. It's moving around. It's gathering completely different information all of the time. And it has this computational ability, but it also has this agent model where it needs to pay for things, parking, charging, toll stations, And then it's also actually a a prosumer in the sense that it's gathering important data that it can monetize and sell back. So it becomes this complete machine economy where humans are just a beneficiary of better service. And that's where I think 20 years from now, we will look back at our lives and wonder why the hell did we work so hard when we had this machinery? Like, why, why didn't we make this transition? before so that's that's kind of the gist of that partnership it's all about guaranteeing that the data is what it says it is because that's the big problem of course no one wants false data because that's completely worthless um and the second part is being able to pay in real time to the customer or to the car in this instance uh, without any fees and that is what the iota protocol enables because we have zero fees on transactions. No, I love it. I mean, that's such a wonderful uh, picture of the future where we could start to give you know our machines a little bit of autonomy to make our lives easier. And as they go about the world, uh, paying for things and collecting data, perhaps useful data that you know other other systems might need, uh, they they could be compensated for that data. So it's going to be a really cool machine economy going forward. I I couldn't agree more. And I'm really excited about uh, all the innovation that's happening there. Uh, And I kind of want to dive over to um, recently in IOTO, there was was a little bit of a hiccup that you guys had. I think uh, I actually don't have much context around it. So I'll just say that um, and with no bias and, and, and what kind of went down and what, how are you guys recovering? You know, for sure. So, um, Given okay, so just to give a little preface, so when you think about IOTA, of course, it's a cryptocurrency, it's a distributed ledger technology, it's a decentralized project, just like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all of the other 
projects in this space. But one of the differentiators in IOTA is that we don't use a regular linear blockchain architecture. Instead, we invented something uh, based on directed acyclic graphs, which we call the Tangle. Uh, so the Tangle is equivalent to the blockchain, but it's a different data structure. And what it enables is essentially completely fee-less transactions because in a blockchain, you have validators and you have users which have diametrically opposed incentives. As a miner or validator, I just want to get the most money possible as a validator, meaning I will want to collect the best fees I can get. So it becomes this kind of bidding economy for supply and demand because the supply is, of course, the blocks in the blockchain. And the demand is how many people are using the network. And we, we looked at that in 2012, 13, 14, and we realized this will never fucking scale. Like there's no chance in hell that this will ever be adopted on a global scale. And it's also a bottleneck for scalability because you're on the block size. And I'm sure you're very well aware of all the controversy and politics around block size in Bitcoin. And that's why we have uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Satoshi Vision and all of this crazy nonsense. Right. In IOTA, we decided, hey, what if we flip this on its head and instead of separating user and validator, we make them one and the same. So what we did was that we got rid of the blocks entirely. We got rid of the chain entirely. And instead, we used the directed acyclic graph architecture. And what this in very high-level brief terms enables is that when you as a user issue a transaction, you also have to validate previous transactions in the network. So that means now we have made usage and validation of the network an intrinsic property. So that means there is no separation. You are the user, but you're also the validator. And so is every other participant of the network. And we get rid of the scaling bottleneck because the more usage in the network, the more uh, validation in the network. So that means actually opposite of what Bitcoin and other blockchains are doing, the more people use IOTA, the faster, the more secure it becomes, and it's also free. So going back to the original topic you mentioned here, we had an incident in uh, early 2020, now in uh, I think it was February 13th. Uh, don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure from memory. But it was around that time, one or two days apart, um, where we had a wallet, where we had integrated a third party. And this third party, unfortunately, got hacked. This was MoonPay. Uh, it's a payment processing company in New York. So what we had done was to integrate their third party solution into our uh, quote-unquote, official IOTA wallet. And this, unfortunately, left open a vulnerability where the attacker could inject malicious code into our wallet with uh, the MoonPay integration. So what happened was that some people uh, had their wallets hacked or emptied, so to speak. And what we could do because of our unique approach was that we could shut off this special node called the coordinator. The coordinator is a temporary node that exists just to give a direction for the network where like which transactions to uh, confirm at what point in the, this growth of the directed acyclic graph. 
So we shut it down and that meant that the attacker could no longer siphon any wallets. And that was controversial because in crypto, uh, cryptocurrency, uh, it's it's all about pure decentralization 24-7. And I would contest that this even exists even today because in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of the other big projects, you have mining pools, you have staking pools, and this is an oligopoly. It's not decentralization. Like in Bitcoin, I think it's like six different mining pools that control the whole network. That's not decentralization. So in IOTA, what we're doing, instead, we are moving towards complete decentralization where every single user, as I just explained, is also the validator. So you have complete decentralization. There is no mining pools, no staking pools, no form of centralization at all. But in to just put it in a very simple way, in order to get to that kind of promised land, to that point where we have no coordinator, this special node, we need to take baby steps. We need to evolve until we get to that point. And fortunately, this hack happened before that point, meaning we as the IOTA Foundation could shut down the coordinator node so he couldn't uh, siphon any more money from wallets. We got that taken care of. And then, of course, the investigation begins. You talk to the FBI, you talk with all the uh, authorities in Europe, and you, you, you essentially you launch an investigation into the hack itself. And we managed to recoup all of the uh, that could have been stolen, or I should say safeguard that money. And personally, myself, I had to uh, make a decision. Like, should I let uh, theft victims just become... Uh, what should we say, like victims of the current stage that crypto is in, which is kind of still in its infancy, or should I bail them out, so to speak? So I decided, of course, to bail them out. It cost me $2.3 million, but I didn't want this singular stupid event. Yeah, but I, but I, I just didn't want this singular stupid event to define the project because this had nothing to do with IOTA as a protocol or... Um, consensus mechanism it was purely a front-end software uh, user interface that was hacked it had nothing to do with the underlying technology so i uh, i bailed them out so to speak i uh, i recouped their losses and then we of course removed the third-party integration and the iota foundation will no longer support third-party integrations everyone else is of course free to create third-party integrations because this is purely open source software, but we as a nonprofit main organization, we will not um, take on that liability because it's it's not what our main purpose is. Our main purpose is right. to develop the protocol. So yeah. I, I think yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I I think two, you know, two main takeaways from that is, you know, my first question was gonna be like, well, how do we ensure this never happens again? And you already answered that is that hey, you know, IOTA Foundation is not gonna be integrating third parties. And I think it's a really valuable lesson for all the other crypto foundations out there to take note from what could happen. And so you just have to be that much more careful. And by, you know, kind of saying, Hey, we're not even going to take any sort of, you know, technical risk on again. So to make sure something like this doesn't happen, you know, I applaud you for that. And then, you know, for setting an amazing example of, you know, taking responsibility, even when the responsibility, you know, wasn't yours, 
Um, it was, and it wasn't your fault, but you as a leader, you stood up and you said, Hey, I, I want to make sure that there's not a black mark against IOTA because nothing about what I've built, uh, broke. It, it, that wasn't what it was. It was, some, it was some other, uh, system that was a vulnerability that a, a bad guy had taken advantage of. But the fact that you stepped up and you bailed out the people that were hurt from that, it just, you know, it just says so much about you as a, as a person and the future of IOTA. And, you know, I feel so comfortable, uh, as somebody who is a fan of IOTA and, and, and pulling for it and holding tokens that, you know, there is somebody like you and your team behind that project. So I definitely applaud you for, for the decisions that you made in the wake of this kind of, uh, unfortunate event. Yeah, no, uh, I very much appreciate the support. It's, it's exactly what we're trying to achieve here. So it, yeah, I just appreciate the support. And if it were to happen to another project, the bigger problem there would be that you would have to convince all the miners. We were fortunate enough that our orthodox decision of having this coordinator instead of just releasing it into the wild before it's ready, that made it possible for us to limit the damage. Whereas mm-hmm. if this happened in Ethereum, which it did several times, like the DAO is the most famous example, then you would have to convince all the miners to roll back the chain. So we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to play politics or decide who gets to live and who doesn't. We were fortunate in that we had taken a more, I would say, cautious approach. We accept the fact that even though crypto has a tremendous potential, it doesn't happen overnight. So let's take our proper time and let's just go through all the stumbling blocks and all of the usual stuff that happens with software development and wait until it's ready. So yeah, my my word of uh, caution to all these other projects is just take proper time. Don't, don't get caught up in this silly notion of if it's not 100% decentralized from day one, then it's a scam or it's a charade. Like it, it's not. You you have to just dig a little bit deeper into the project and look. What are these guys actually trying to achieve? What is the what 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 is the solution they are building? What is the problem they're solving? And how are they going about it? And so, and I I just want to make sure on this topic of the hack that just happened uh, to the Trinity Well, I just want to say that there was absolutely no individual person in the iota foundation who was responsible it was a mistake of course but it was a collective mistake there's no singular individual that i would ever blame for this we made a bad decision of integrating a third party we learned from that and that's all we can do Uh, we never pretended to be perfect but uh yeah now we got a wake-up call in terms of uh don't Mm -hmm. uh yeah, you, you just have to take security first. That's all that matters. And at the end of the day, IOTA Foundation is a R&D foundation. So we're no longer prioritizing kind of the user experience. That's for the ecosystem to build, whereas the IOTA Foundation is focused on the actual protocol. So yeah. Really, really cool. And I just in closing, I love that uh, the decentralization component to this whole thing, how much it brings into light that decentralization uh, is a tool, but it's also, you know, shades of gray. It's not just everything shades of gray, just like how, you know, the black swan should be a gray swan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really love that. And that, you know, there's so many different projects trying to achieve 
so many different things. Um, and there's just not one way that is right or wrong. And I think in this case, um, centralization uh, happened to, you know, come be, be in the favor of, of the system as a whole. Um, as you guys work towards a sufficiently secure uh, and usable decentralized system. Um, I think, I think you guys are doing all the right things over there. No, thanks. Uh, thanks. And this is the entire philosophy of the, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of how the IOTA foundation was established, we chose to go to Germany, which is the hardest place you can ever get incorporated with such an, an orthodox technology, but we managed to do it. And this just, it's to me, it just goes back to let's focus on the real world because it's, it's cool to sit on forums and discuss different theories and ideologies and all this kind of utopian stuff. That's, I'm not saying that it's not relevant or valuable, but at the end of the day, you really need to get this into the real world. So you have to play by the real world uh, rules. And we are not ashamed of the fact that we are taking this temporary quasi decentralized approach until we have complete decentralization versus going complete decentralization in the beginning. And then if a mistake happens, which pretty much always happens in software development in the beginning, we wouldn't have any way of mitigating the damage. So, uh, yeah, this is just my advice to other people in the same space that be religious, be rational. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, well David, thank you so much for, for spending this hour with us today. Uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. Hope to bring you back on again sometime in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, come on again. Beautiful. All right, take care. And, and everybody out there listening, stay safe and have a great week. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.